Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 264 and part one of my conversation with University of Nebraska at Omaha percussion professor and member of the Heartland Marimba Quartet, Hannah Weaver. We're still in the midst of a very busy time for Marching Mizzou. We just turned around a one-week show of Frank Sinatra to celebrate our acceptance into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in November of 2022. And we have been preparing for our annual Champion of Champions Marching Band Festival to be held this coming Saturday, October 23rd. Fortunately, this year, with a larger band than we've had in a long time, and with extra faculty help, in the form of our assistant director of bands, Dr. Christian Noon, the hall has been shared, and here's hoping it all goes well and the weather holds up. One more note before we get to this week's guest. I just want to take a moment in remembrance of another major figure in the world of percussion that passed away a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Dean. Recent guest, Tim Fierst, posted frequently on social media about the importance of Christopher Dean on his own career. And many guests I've had on the show, because so many of them have a University of North Texas connection, were his students. And the plaudits on him as teacher, performer, composer, and person were universally great. I never formally met him, though it's possible we'd interacted at some point but I'd certainly known of him from his days at East Carolina University when he and Mark Ford were the percussion professors there and I was a grad student at UNC Greensboro. It would have been wonderful to have had him on the show. It just didn't happen. So a percussion community mourns and thanks you, Christopher Dean, for everything that you gave and the connections you clearly made to your students. You will be missed. All right, let's move on to this week's guest, Hannah Weaver. I'm somewhat meeting Hannah for the first time here, though we have two personal connections that you'll hear about during the interview. For one, she's a member of the Heartland Marimba Quartet, founded by recent podcast guest Matthew Coley, who, on the same day that this interview was recorded, also happened to have been a guest in my career development for musicians class here at Mizzou. So that was a pretty cool coincidence. The second connection we made during the interview was when I realized that she was working with a good friend, choral educator and vocal performer, Derek Fox. And we'll talk more about that in the interview. And three, she and I, in a way, met during a recent Percussive Arts Society Health and Wellness Committee meeting over Zoom. Though we didn't actually talk to one another directly, we were made aware of each other at that time. In any case, it was great to talk to Hannah about all of these topics and so much more in this interview. As we went long on this, I'll once again break this interview up into two parts. On part one, you'll hear about Hannah's gig at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, her reasons for joining the Health and Wellness Committee, Heartland Marimba, growing up around Indianapolis, and her active sports career. On part two, you'll hear the rest. So let's get to it. 
We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 11th, 2021, and it begins right now. So, Hannah, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, I'm really lucky uh, here at University of Nebraska Omaha in that I pretty much have free reign in the department, which I love. (laughs) So I am the main percussion instructor here at the university. We have a fantastic adjunct uh, drum set professor, Doug Montera, uh, who does a great job of working with me and the students. Um, Really nice collaborative team. Uh, and then outside of that, I get to run percussion ensemble as I see fit. Just started a samba band last year. So that's been really fun uh, to get that in. Uh, and then primarily working with the students one-on-one in lessons. We have a few other classes uh, like percussion methods for some of the music ed students that all interact with uh, some of the other students. We also have percussion pedagogy, percussion history class, uh, which is always always a good time. Um, but I, I just love the freedom to have um, kind of an inventive direction to go with the studio. Uh, and my students have been right on board, which is great. I'm really big into mixed media collaboration. So, for example, last year we did um, some work with a local high school. Um, we had a bunch of high school students do artwork to match our performances. And then we created a slideshow and did a whole light show in the concert. It was really fun. Um, one of my good friends here is a visual artist. And so she's been doing a lot of graphic design. So some of our concerts will have images projected on us. Um, a recent performance we did was with some local dance students. Um, so it's been really fun to try and get the students and the percussion department uh, more interactive with the community here. Now, how long have you been there? Uh, this is just my second year, though I, I kind of feel like it's almost my first year since last year. <laughs> I think everybody kind of feels like yeah, last year was a was a wash. Um, but, you know, it was still a really successful year for us here. We were fortunate and were in person for uh, most of the year for lessons and a smaller percussion ensemble. Um, so I was really grateful for that. Is but, that yeah, mass- it's just is- my second year here in Omaha. Yeah. Is that masked or not masked? For those? Yes, masked. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, last year we were, you know, keeping social distancing, um, and we were really fortunate this, uh, the percussion department here actually just had a whole renovation four years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I wish you could see a little better, obviously this podcast, but, uh, we've got a really nice setup here. The whole fourth floor is just percussion. I think they stuck us off in the corner because nobody wants to have to listen to snare drum all day long. Uh, But it worked out well for us because we've got gorgeous like floor to ceiling windows. I've never been in a percussion department that's had windows before. I always feel like we're stuck in the basement. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's been really nice. Uh, But anyways, all of this to say we have plenty of space. So we were really fortunate we were able to do six foot distancing and still have a few pieces um, in which we had five or six players. So the students could really kind of hone, you know, get a sense of that chamber ensemble setting. But yeah, this year we're back at it, masked, you know, everything. Uh, But I feel like the school's been doing a really good job. They just started rolling out uh, the boosters for um, the, the COVID booster shots for all the faculty and they're getting started on the students. So yeah, it's, you know, I really appreciate it. I feel like they've done a very good job of, uh, you know, making it a safe environment for the students, they and the teachers. 
So tell me about getting the position, where you were before, the status of the program, what it's like to get a job in the pandemic. I have to say, I could not have asked for better timing for getting the job because I think I signed the contract less than a month before the first lockdown. Um, so wow. that, yeah, at that, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I signed the contracts like early February. Um, and so I was excited about moving to this new city, looking at apartments and everything. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, but you know, it's, it, it was a great transition and I'm so, so, so grateful that I had that security because it's, it's been a really difficult time for anyone in the arts and the service industry, performance industry, um, so I'm incredibly grateful the way that this all worked out. Uh, so prior, prior to my position here, I was back in Indiana for a year. That's where I grew up, west side of Indianapolis. Uh, so I was back in my hometown doing a little bit of teaching, uh, but I also had won a couple of regional orchestra positions. So it was fun just to be freelancing and kind of combining that, you know, I, um, as I was finishing up my doctorate, I didn't get to play quite as much as I had hoped. So it was really refreshing to get back into that. I was playing timpani with the uh, Columbus, Indiana Philharmonic and uh, section percussion with the Terre Haute Symphony. And then, um, you know, through just kind of, uh, you know, getting out into the community and the freelancing scene, I got to play some with the Indianapolis Symphony and uh, Fort Wayne, which was Really, really fun, fantastic musicians there. It was great to, uh, you know, kind of be a part of a little musical committee or community there back around my hometown. Um, so that was the year immediately prior to uh, getting the job here in Omaha. And then before that, I was up in Rochester. I was finishing up my degree at Eastman, uh, working with Professor Burrett um, and all the great faculty there. So yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a crazy, you know, crazy turnaround. And I just want to, you know, put the positive energy out into the universe for everyone that are, you know, trying to find this kind of position or find the kind of performing position that they want, the kind of job, you know, making it work as a musician. It is, it is a tough journey. And I think it's easy for us to see the successes of people and think that that just happened for them or, you know, we, it, it can be glorified a little bit. I think, you know, I, I can't think of any uh, professionals that I know that didn't have, you know, some kind of rough periods where, you know, maybe working in other industries. Like I know personally, I spent a lot of time in the service industry and in the retail industry to supplement whatever I was trying to do at the time. Um, and I don't think there's any, shame at all in that, uh, the career path is certainly not a direct one for any of us, I don't think. And so just kind of having the patience and the trust that, uh, you can, you know, make that happen with time with the skill set and the right attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Particularly about just trying to make it, keep yourself afloat, you know, yeah. for lack of a better yeah. word. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, that's something you and I were talking about before this, you know, uh, with our interest kind of in the health and wellness uh, field for all of us. I think it's really, really important that we sort of destigmatize some of the um, some of the comparison um, and, you know, maybe uh, questioning that we all do of ourselves and 
through this field because it's it's not easy and you got to I think all of us need to remember that we're doing it because we love it because we think we have something to contribute to the community. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm we're going to get to health and wellness in, in a bit, but I do I want to know a little bit more about what the getting the job process was like, what the situation was you were walking into. You mentioned a little bit about the facilities are are fairly new. So yeah. you, you had that, but like tell me a little bit more about getting the job and then the the situation when you walk in. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from it being a pandemic, which obviously <laughs> right. happened after you got the job. I remember applying for this job. I think it must have been October, September, October of 2019 that I was sending in my resume along with, you know, felt like 500 other um, applications, you know, for these jobs. First step in the process, once they had reviewed the resumes, was to set up a Skype interview. So in late November, um, the committee reached out to me and set up a Skype interview, got to meet with all of them and talk, get to hear a little bit about the program. Um, You know, they were very interested in, uh, you know, of course, my qualifications, but particularly why I was interested in the job. And I think that that's a common question and one that we all anticipate, but I think people often kind of breeze past that, you know, it's it's really important in the job search to recognize that everyone has, you know, their own unique set of qualifications. There are lots of really, really talented players out there. And ultimately they're looking for the right fit for what they need for their vision, what your goals, what your vision for the program are. And um, I think that was something that really resonated with the committee um, was my responses to that both during the Skype interview. And then when I was here in person, Obviously, every one of these jobs that we're applying for, you're always going to say, of course, I'm really interested in this job. Sometimes you're more interested than others. This one in particular, I was really, really excited about a lot of aspects of the the direction the program could go, about the city itself, um, about the musical scene here, about my colleagues. You know, I'd heard a lot of good things. I knew a few people here. So I think um, being able to really be genuine in my responses to that Uh, helped a lot. Uh, So we had the Skype interview and then the next step was to come out uh, for a in-person interview. Uh, They had three finalists come out uh, and that was probably, gosh, like about the craziest 30 hours, I think. Um, I flew in, had dinner with the community, uh, the committee, had a tour, whole next day was back-to-back interviews and performances, um, all of that, and then turned right around and flew home. The kind of complicated thing that was going on for me at this time was actually that I had uh, serious issues with carpal tunnel and cubital tunnel at the time, and it had flared oh, up. Wait, wait, what's the second? Uh, so sorry, carpal. Yeah. I've heard that. But what's right, the sorry. Uh, so I had carpal tunnel and cubital tunnel uh, syndrome, actually, which was the okay. more um, more inflamed one of the two. My carpal tunnel wasn't too bad, but the cubital tunnel, uh, that refers to the nerve at the elbow being mm. compressed. Yeah. So I, um, I w- really didn't have sensation in my ring finger or my pinky finger in my right hand. And Whoa. yeah. Yeah. Cause I know with carpal tunnel, like you get some weakness on the other side, excuse me, of the hands of the thumb, index finger and middle finger. Uh, but the nerve that is compressed at the elbow there, the ulnar nerve that goes to your pinky and your ring finger. So I, 
uh, started experiencing trouble with this the very end of December. So it was after I'd had my Skype interview, I was all set. They bought my tickets for me to come out for my in-person interview. And I started having this, you know, numbness in my fingers and, um, I was, you know, really concerned. So I tried to go a few weeks without playing, but I was balancing that with the fact that I was going to have to give a recital. And so I was trying to, you know, wait, but still be able to pr- uh, prepare for that. Um, and ultimately what ended up happening is, you know, I reached out to the committee and told them what was going on. They pushed my date a little later to try and give me some more time. And, um, I, uh, you know, was seeing hand specialists at the time and found out that I was ultimately going to need to have surgery. And once I found that out, told the committee and, um, they actually handled it really, really well. And I found out after the fact that a few of them wanted to write me off right then, understandably, like I could understand that you would think, uh, well, one, if you can't hear someone play, how are you going to judge them fairly? And two, there's often an assumption that if someone's injured, they're doing something wrong. Like there's some kind of uh, technical deficiency in their playing or something that they're doing. Um, so I, I can understand the thought process, but fortunately uh, they did decide to let me come out. They just required additional references. So they wanted more videos. I pulled out all kinds of, you know, everything I could think of. And I pulled out all the stops as far as references um, that I could think of. And I was, you know, really grateful that they were able to make that work. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a rather, uh, you know, kind of a scary time. Cause I felt very good about the entire interview process. I felt like I clicked with the students. I felt like the faculty loved me, but you know, there was that uncertainty and um, nerves that I wasn't able to play, which I feel is one of my, you know, one of my strongest things is that I, you know, I'm a performer. So that was a, it was a difficult process um, to go through all of that. But uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later, found out that they, uh, you know, they decided to offer me the position and I was just absolutely thrilled about that. And it was, uh, it was really great. I was able to be pretty involved right away. The situation prior to me being here, this position used to be a, I want to say a year to year contract or like a two or three year contract. It was not a tenure track position um, until they did the search uh, that I uh, applied for. So the, uh, the person who had been previously holding the position decided not to apply for the job. So they had an interim uh, teacher for a year, Dr. Tom Rowland, who's absolutely phenomenal. He really built this program up. Honestly, he was the previous professor. Now he's the assistant director of the school of music here. Um, so he's a great resource still around uh, to help me in a lot of ways and kind of be a mentor, which has been amazing. So he was there the year while the search was going on for me, which made the made the search really interesting, honestly, because at a school this size, it's very rare for your chair of the search committee to be a percussionist. And he was. So in a lot of ways, I feel like that helped me a lot. Um, and I really appreciated that. Oh, because he could advise that. It, yeah. Like, yeah. He, and she's he, not and faking he, it. Like, she's, she's right. Exactly. <laughs> he, he understood. He was like this, right. you know, it's not necessarily a technical deficiency or anything that could be leading to these injuries. And um, he, I think also maybe understood a little more from the community and knew some of my teachers. Cause I, I know the committee reached out to my teachers and asked them if I had seen, if they, there was any incidences in the past of me being injured or if my technique looked questionable. 
you know, so it was, it was helpful to have um, the chair of the search committee be a percussionist, I think. Uh, so he was the interim teacher of the year while they were searching. Um, and so as soon as they decided that they were going to offer me the job at the end of, you know, end of January, early February, um, he was really great about allowing me to kind of start to advise. Um, he uh, had me do Zoom auditions with all of the students. He set it up so I could see, you know, anybody that was auditioning uh, right away made me feel really involved, um, which was great. And a few of the students, um, I actually gave some Zoom lessons while I was still in Indiana before I came out. So that was, you know, really great. But again, that all got a little thrown out of whack with the pandemic. Um, so coming in, you know, I moved here, really didn't know many people. I mean, I knew a few people professionally, but didn't know many people. So it's not like I was going out in the middle of a pandemic, meeting a lot of, <laughs> meeting a lot of people. So trying to settle in and meet my new colleagues, but again, under the uh, restrictions was a little interesting, but everyone was very, very welcoming. The students were fantastic. Um, you know, I felt really lucky. I came in, we had eight students last year. I had one grad and seven undergrad. Um, and they worked their tails off because, you know, that's not not a huge studio. Um, at various times, the studio had been as big as about 20 here uh, when Dr. Rollins was uh, the instructor. Um, so it was a little on the smaller side. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of a great start. Honestly, it allowed me to be a little more attentive to each individual student, I felt, um, with the smaller numbers and uh, really tailor things the way that we wanted for each individual student. And this year we have 12 in the studio. So I have two grads and uh, 10 undergrads, which is great. Um, yeah, just excited to kind of keep keep growing that program. It occurred to me once I realized like exactly what school you're at and it's like, oh, I need, wait a minute. I think someone I know teaches there. Derek Fox. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One of the most phenomenal human beings I've ever met. Oh my gosh, yeah. On top of being an amazing, amazing pedagogue yeah. and musician. I, I'm yeah. so excited I can't even uh, speak right now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Derek is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, how do you know, how do you know Dr. Fox? Uh, well, he was a, I think he was a master's student when my wife and I first moved and started, when she started teaching, she's been at Mizzou for a long time. And I came in as a spousal hire with as a um, part time. And then uh, he was a I think he was an undergrad. I think he was a, do- a master student, I believe. And then got his doctorate and then got the got the job. But um, but yeah, every time I've went, fortunately, like many times when he's been in town, I've gotten to see him. I mean, it was funny, like there was a few years ago. I was thinking about this because yesterday one of our voice professors uh, did a recital of like German leader mostly. And it was awesome, which is a weird yeah. thing as a percussionist to be talking about <laughs> Dude. German leader. But, but he gave a recital that he did some German leader and it was like, of course it was incredible because he's such a good musician and it wasn't even, I mean, I, we've, I've gotten to see him do like gospel and, and opera and like, which he's awesome at too, but like, he's still incredible, just yeah. as good, if not better at doing the, 19th century German art song. Oh man, that's amazing. I have not yet had a chance to hear him outside of singing in rehearsals with his students, but I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm really excited. Actually, he and one of the other 
choral directors here, uh, Katrina Cox and I are working on a project. Um, we're trying to write a grant to commission uh, this composer, Kyokabi Karyuki, to write a piece for choir and marimba that could also potentially be performed on piano, like depending on uh, the availability of different instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to be working working with him. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is what I'm saying. Like, this is the caliber of people that I'm dealing with. Just like wonderful, wonderful human beings that are incredibly dedicated to the students, um, yeah. which I'm so grateful, you know, coming in here. It's been a, a really great energy amongst the faculty, even with the, <laughs> the pandemic, <laughs> putting a dampener on everything, it seems like. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about being in Omaha, which I think is one of the kind of underrated cool cities. Um, I agree. Yeah. I love, I have loved it. Now I should, I should preface this not to, not to talk crap on Rochester, but I lived in Rochester for a long time. And I think anyone anyone who's lived in Rochester, like your standards maybe aren't all that high. So coming here, anything was a little bit of a step up from Rochester. I don't, I don't regret a minute of it. Like I'm so glad for my time there, but yeah. yeah. Um, no, Omaha's great. Uh, there's really a great music scene, art scene, theater scene. The food is great. Yeah. Surprisingly, I feel like people always look at me kind of funny when I say that, but there are some amazing restaurants here. Yeah. Um, and uh, plenty of plenty of bars. <laughs> right. <laughs> they sure. or may not have been hitting more of those. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 got a little bit of everything, I feel like. Uh, It's just big enough that you get a lot of the culture and the energy of a city, but it's not too big. Uh, I think the greater metropolitan area is like 500,000, but that's including a lot of the little districts on the edge. But the great thing is, I feel like in a city this size, you can really start to cultivate an arts community. You know, it's like you really know the other people that are active in uh, the scene here, which is great. and actually, one of the things that I was most excited about moving here was the Omaha Under the Radar Music Festival that I think this is, I want to say this was their seventh or eighth season. Uh, it's a contemporary music festival that Ensemble Del Miente, um, group based out of Chicago, actually started. Uh, and they've been the ensemble in residence in the past there. Um, but this absolutely phenomenal vocalist, Amanda DeBauer, uh, runs it and organizes it. And it's it's just a great um, kind of a little oasis of weird new music uh, in the middle of Omaha. Uh, and so I was really excited. I got to perform as part of that this last August. And a couple of my students did as well, actually. Um, so that's that's the awesome thing. You know, it's there's there's enough opportunities that you know, plenty of professionals are playing, but also my students are able to be pretty active and get out and play and, you know, uh, enjoy being a part of the the musical community here, which has been really great. Yeah. Have you been to the zoo? Oh yes. Oh, how did I, how did I forget the zoo? That's, (laughs) I think it's one of the top, like three or four zoos in the country. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I've been twice now. And so for a total of like seven hours, and I feel like I've maybe seen 10% of the zoo. It is huge. Yeah. It is enormous. 
Um, and honestly, I got tired both times that we went, we took the little sky fari tour in one mm-hmm. of the little, uh, you know, one of the little carriages, mm-hmm. uh, over the whole thing. So we were able to see a lot of the zoo and I said, like, man, if we had to walk all of this, I'd be exhausted. But yeah. It's phenomenal. They've got these huge indoor exhibits because Omaha does get a lot of snow in the winter. So the zoo's open year round, but they've got these killer um, exhibits, a big tropical jungle section, an amazing aquarium, um, then the desert section. And then the creepiest part, this really kind of threw me underneath the desert section. There's a caves section and you are walking through here and you think you're like in the bayou of Louisiana or Florida panhandle or something. There are alligators just right, right over the edge, like three feet from you. It was, it was a little intense for me, but very cool. Very cool. Yeah. (laughs) My wife and I have friends um, who are in, I don't know that they're in Omaha necessarily. Like they're in one of kind of like the outskirts areas, but they, anyway, so we've, we've been there a number of times and uh, it's it's only like five hours away from Columbia. So it's right. Yeah. It's not that far. Yeah, Yeah. There's, Oh God, so much good stuff here. I have to say there are some uh, rather weird food tastes here though. I still have not been to Runza, which that's one of the fast food restaurants here. I really think they should have thought of a different name for that. Runza, it's just not a great idea. Uh, But Runza has these just big old dough pockets filled with like ground meat. Uh And that's the Runza sandwich. Uh So I still have not tried one, Um, but their other specialty is the cinnamon roll and chili. You're supposed to eat them both together. I love both, but I, I don't know that I want to do that. Yeah. So I want to do that. The other big uh, thing here is cream cheese on pizza. Have you seen this? Just like, okay, this, this actually is pretty tasty, but it's just big old hunks, like globs of cream cheese baked on the pizza. It's not bad. I mean, I'm I'm never upset about cheese really, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's plenty of other better things to eat here than (laughs) a a roll and a chili. Some really, really great burger places. And of course, Omaha steaks. So yeah, yeah. got, got plenty, plenty of good beef here. Yeah, I know. I always feel bad. There, there are a few good re- vegetarian restaurants. Uh, two of the guys in the marimba quartet that I play with are mm-hmm. vegan and vegetarian. Yeah. So they tend to get shafted on restaurant op- options whenever we travel. So when they they were here for um, some performances recently, so I I did due diligence to find a few good uh, vegan restaurants because I feel like they usually get uh, the short end of the right. stick. And there there are some good options here. There's some there's some good. Good variety of things for yeah, yeah. being a you know Midwest city in the middle right. of <laughs> yeah beef country. Of course, yeah. Well, and you have you not only have that, but you have Lincoln's like what forty five minutes away. Yeah, Lincoln. yeah. Went to my first Huskers football game. I feel like that's like a requirement of yeah. being around Nebraska. That's what everything everything in the fall centers around Huskers football. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a time. It was crazy. Yeah. They also have a, a bit. I've been to, I've been to there because I, I direct the volleyball, women's volleyball pep band and women's oh, volleyball sure. is enormous. It's like it, at, at Nebraska Lincoln, like they have their own arena. It's that big. Seriously. Yes. Okay. Like a 10,000 seat arena that, and it's packed. It's like, 
it's a whole thing. It's wild. It's insane. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. UNO no longer has a football team. We we had one at one point. We do have a killer hockey team. That's mm. like the big thing here. Yeah. Hockey. We've got hockey uh like pet bands and mm. uh all that's that's the the big sport here. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So the other funny part that's connected here is that um cuz I know you're part of Heartland Marimba. Yeah. And um I literally this morning I've had I've had Matthew uh, on the on podcast before, but he happened to talk to my. I'm teaching a, a career development for musicians class. Yeah, and he spoke to them to the, this morning, and I hadn't. Today, oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, wild! So oh, my man. other Zoom call today has been was more, with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that! Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to talk about career development going in like a unique direction, yeah. Matthew has literally created like all of his opportunities in this whole business model. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's phenomenal. Every time that I work with him, cause uh, even prior to doing some of the stuff with the quartet, I did a few things with the ensemble, the Heartland Rimba ensemble, um, everything he does, the more and more layers that I see of it, the more and more I wonder how he like, how on earth he does everything. The man is superhuman. <laughs> yeah. Actually funny. The, the one of the students asked, he's like, you're doing a lot. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Matthew and I have joked about that. We both uh, blame Michael Burrett for teaching us that this is okay. <laughs> right. To do everything and go all the time. You want to talk about like the original superhuman Yes. I feel like he never stops. Which which explains the Mountain Dew, honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot of things. A lot of great things. Yeah. Also some, uh, <laughs> maybe not the healthiest mental habits, <laughs> but no, I, um, I adore Professor Burrett. He's phenomenal. Yeah. So you said you played with him, but how did you get, get connected to be um, one of the quartet members? So Matthew and I have always kind of like just missed each other um, throughout our careers, you know, knew of each other. Um, he actually reached out to me a couple of years ago. Um, actually, it was right before I got this job. Um, he reached out to me about interviewing um, and like auditioning for the quartet because uh, they were doing a little bit of kind of uh reshaping and um, revamping the the business model and everything of the quartet. Uh, so I was all set to do a, like a tour and residency with them as part of an audition. And then um, initially after getting this job, this was pre pandemic, right before the pandemic, I got this job and Matthew understandably said that they thought they were going to, you know, probably look at someone else because they were looking for um, someone that could be committing even more time they thought than I probably would have as a new professor. Um, so they went a different direction. Uh, but then pandemic hit, everything kind of remodeled and again, shook up a little bit. So uh, Matthew reached back out to me again um, and said, you know, with the way that we've restructured some things with, uh, the pandemic and change some of the administrative duties and just figuring out how to, you know, make this function. Um, we think that you could be a good fit. Um, and so then it kind of 
took off from there. Uh, I started with them this January. Yeah. So I was doing some projects with them, went on tour with them in uh, April. We played with the Dubuque Symphony and that was sort of a trial. Um, And from that have uh, joined the group, which has been absolutely amazing. I love working with those guys. Great. Again, great human beings on top of being phenomenal musicians, which I feel like is something I try to hammer home with my students all the time. It's like, you need, you need to be someone that people will want to work with. I mean, you absolutely have to have the skills, no question, right? You need to be able to show up and do the job and you need to be able to put yourself in the position to either win the job or be offered a position, but to keep the job, you need to be a decent human, uh, which seems like a simple baseline uh, requirement, but you'd be surprised. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, (laughs) because I always think about, um, I have a a nephew who's, who's played in a um, a Christian rock band for, for, for a while. And uh, yeah, I don't even know if he asked me for this advice, but I basically said, listen, you can, you can play drum set. Great. Like probably better than I can at this, like my entire life, you're already better than me. I said, all you need to do right now is uh, show up on time and be nice. Right. That's it. You'll be fine. Yep. So <laughs> it's so true. Like, and again, it's, and well, and, and sometimes I have to give myself that advice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remind myself, okay, play nice with others. Like just because you're stressed doesn't mean that that can translate out onto everyone else. Um, you know, it's, it's really important to think about that because ultimately we're making music, right? Like we're not, we're not doing brain surgery. No one's going to die. No one's life is in our hands, you know, try and remember this and like make it a positive experience that we're contributing to, to things. The other thing that I'm always trying to remind my students, uh, I think there can be a little bit of a competitive culture, uh, understandably in Mm -hmm. music and the arts. Um, and as much as you do need to remember that, yes, like you need to, challenge yourself and constantly try and be better. Just the fact that someone else won a job doesn't mean that it's a loss for you. Ultimately, we should all be trying to look for ways to expand the arts and look at other people's successes um, or other people's performances as something contributing to a bigger community. Um, And the more that, and I'm I'm saying this largely because I have struggled a lot with this uh, throughout my career. Um, and the more that I can remember that, just the happier I am in general and the uh, the more positive energy I feel like I'm able to give in my performances and back to my students. Yeah. There is that one guy, though. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In the within Heartland, Matthew's obviously like running it and and all that. What is your duties to the group? I, I okay. Aside from playing music that gets given to you, are you expected to get commissions? Are you expected to get gigs? Are you expected like what? What other are there other parts that are part of that aside from the playing for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's so interesting that you bring this up because that's been a little bit of an ongoing conversation with us um, because we're constantly trying to 
adjust the balance since I feel like we're finally kind of reaching a more normal stage of planning now that things are ramping back up, coming out of uh, some of the more severe (laughs) shutdowns of the pandemic, we're able to get back into a little bit more of a regular booking schedule um, and uh, dividing those duties up again. But since we've had some personnel shifts and the pandemic, it's been a little less clear cut. So at the moment, the way we've been handling things is just kind of an all hands on deck all times. Everyone uh, communicating as a group to cover all of these tasks. So, for example, you mentioned bookings. Um, We have all been reaching out in different ways to try and get work for the group. So uh, just this past month, I had uh, brought the group here to University of Nebraska at Omaha for a week residency through a uh, through a grant from the university uh, for cultural enrichment for the students here. So, you know, I had written the grant and gone through all of the details of planning that. Uh, we have our tour coming up for um, PASIC. We're going to be driving across country and doing some stuff with the International Marimba Orchestra out in Kutztown. So in leading up to that, we all have been using our various contacts or resources um, along our planned tour route to reach out and set up some clinics, performances, things like that. So really the like secret to our <laughs> secret to our success, I, I like to think it's successful, uh, <laughs> has been a master Google Drive, uh, which uh, Matthew's been really good about kind of keeping organized. We have bi-weekly meetings in which we're documenting and each bringing different material to the table to update the group. We've got all of our information there in the drive as far as tour plans, itineraries, booking info, contacts. Um, We have lists and lists of, um, you know, potential contacts that we could reach out to. And we document when we do um, just to try and keep everyone on the same page. But yeah, so at the moment, it's largely been a um, kind of by, you know, minute by minute adjustment of tasks. Because, again, we haven't had a terribly normal season. Um, but, again, the upcoming the upcoming tour, uh, you know, I, I took a little bit more of a lead as far as booking housing and taking care of that, logistics for that, and flights and things. And Matthew's reached out to a few more people regarding performances. Ujjal and Marco have been doing a little more marketing. You know, it just, it, it varies depending on what's needed at the time. But we have been discussing, uh, you know, moving forward, trying to have more clear cut roles. Um, So, for example, Third Coast, I think, is a great model of a chamber group that has very clear delineation of um, tasks amongst the the members. Uh, Specifically, one person is like the financial manager. Another person is the booking manager, you know, and they um, they're able to. Uh, you know, really run things smoothly as a result. And I know talking, um, I remember talking to Dave Skidmore uh, maybe three years ago. And I think he said that was when they were kind of finally hitting their rhythm, they felt like, and they'd been together for years. You know, I feel like that's the constant struggle is working at the administrative side of these ensembles and really getting um, getting that work done. Because it's not the fun part. Like it certainly is not the fun part of playing in a chamber ensemble, but Honestly, it's more important than playing the notes, you know, realistically being able to manage all of the the business side of things 
you know, if you can't get that in place, doesn't matter if you can play uh, the craziest rep in the world. For sure. You know, one of the things that's interesting uh, that Matthew said today, uh, I'm curious to get your opinion on it, was that one of the things that makes his group unique is that you're, you're, you have a, a very varied age range. Um, he's, you know, he's like so many of these groups were students at the same time as grad students or undergrad or something like that. Like that's their connection was they started there. And, and it's funny, like you're, I think you're across the board in, in a lot in age, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, without giving anybody's exact. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, no, we do, we do have a whole, whole spectrum. Um, but I think it works really, really well. Because uh, again, within within the group, everyone holds themselves to such a high standard. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like at least the uh, the dynamic in a lot of our rehearsals, we're each our own hardest critic. Right. You know, so you were it, fine. I sucked, and it's exactly, like just that exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been interesting uh, to have you know all of these different. Um, different backgrounds, different, you know, demographics sort of to come together. Uh, What's been uh, particularly funny lately, we were having a discussion the other day about um, oldest child versus youngest child syndrome. Uh, Cause there's definitely, definitely a little bit of that in the dynamics of the group, which is quite entertaining. Matthew and I are both the oldest child. um, And uh, (laughs) Ujjal is the youngest child. You know, it's just, it's funny uh, to see the way that we interact and or look for approval or need to be, <laughs> need to be told things over and over again. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite funny. Yeah. The youngest is not taking, uh, you know, is not listening to your advice that you gave, <laughs> even though they didn't, you didn't ask for it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun though. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I want to backtrack now back to the health and wellness stuff because you mentioned yeah. a couple of things that that um, well, well I do want to ask you kind of your interest in being on the committee because uh, yeah. you and I are both on that but also because right. you've two things you you've mentioned have come up one is the obviously the the hand issues uh, yeah. that you've dealt with and then yeah. just kind of the mental struggle of of you know not having a gig, the gig you want yet yeah so kind of feel free to take that whatever jump, order jump you want. In, however. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with uh, why I was interested in the committee. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the two other points that you made pretty much sum it up for me, why I was interested in being on this committee, because one, personally, I've had some serious setbacks from physical wellness, uh, which then impacted my mental wellness for sure. Uh, when, when the symptoms first started flaring up with the carpal tunnel and the cubital tunnel, um, of course there was a lot of, you know, honestly terror associated with it because I didn't know what was going on. The doctors were not giving me a straight answer. And, um, I was being told that I needed to wait until it got worse for them to be able to do anything which is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were telling me that to get a accurate read on any nerve damage, I had to wait at least six or eight weeks after the initial numbness set in. So I'm sitting around, can't play, just waiting. 
absolutely wreaking havoc on my <laughs> mental state yeah. at that point. Um, you know, and then even once I had gotten confirmation from the doctors, like, yes, this is what's going on. Yes. We're going to need to do surgery. You know, then you're still nervous. You're like, I don't know what rehab's going to be like. I don't know what my facility is going to be like at the end of this. Am I going to have lost some, uh, you know, some degree of touch and control? Uh, so there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of fear associated with all of that, um, so that was a big, you know, a big reason for me that I wanted to be a part of this committee because um, I had actually reached out to Laurel Black, who's mm-hmm. another member of the committee yeah. uh, early on when I was struggling with uh, carpal tunnel and cubital tunnel because yeah. she's done a lot of research and she's had some issues herself um, and she was very comforting and it was really helpful just to, just to have access to more information. Uh, so for me, that was a, a big component and I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, able to kind of continue, um, continue that for other people. And then the, the, the mental side of the health and wellness, um, again, has been, you know, a recurring theme and struggle for me throughout, throughout school, throughout professional life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Without going too deeply into, uh, my, you know, my own personal matters. Not that there's any shame in that. I think that's a big thing that I'm glad we're moving more in the direction of removing some of the stigma associated with, uh, you know, mental health issues. Um, I certainly have struggled all through, all through my, uh, uh, professional life and all through school with different, um, different issues. And I think, without the support system that I had, both my family, my teachers, friends, all of that, um, I would not have been able to, uh, you know, deal with it as successfully as I have and be in the position that I am today. So I, again, think that it's just so important to have resources and continue to work on, um, you know, providing our students and, and our, and our friends and colleagues with, um, you know, as much help as we can uh, in this field. Uh, and then you, you know, you also mentioned um, dealing with the the frustration and the the struggle of not having your career path follow exactly the way you want it to, or not having the job that you ideally want. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to deal with, and there's not really an easy answer. Something that I constantly tried to remind myself at all different phases of my career um, was that, you know, you have to find a way to enjoy what you're doing now and not always be waiting for that next thing. And that's something that I still really struggle with um, and have to remind myself constantly. Um, You know, for the longest time, I told myself, okay, once I graduate from my undergrad, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to know what I'm doing. No, didn't. Okay, well, I'm going to go to grad school. Then I'm going to know what I'm doing. Finish grad school. No. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to get into a DMA program. Oh, I'm going to get my doctorate. Oh, I'm going to, you know, win a, you know, win a job in an ensemble. All of that still, you know, if you're constantly just looking for outside affirmation, uh, you're never going to feel secure. You're never going to feel happy. Uh, so you have to figure out a way to kind of appreciate the mess of the process um, and just remember that 
you know, remember why you're doing this. Because ultimately, I think if any of us are doing this to become world famous or make millions of dollars, you're probably not going to, you're not going to end up happy. Uh, you're probably not going to make that. So you have to remember the the reasons that we got into this field, the reasons that we want to make music and uh, try and embrace that along the path. And then the, you know, the other bit of advice is just to, you know, really question what your dream job would look like for you. So I think everybody has different priorities in their life and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people maybe want a little more stability or are going to want to live in the same place. Some people are really attracted to the idea of traveling a lot. You know, there, there's a lot of other elements associated with these jobs that, you know, even if, uh, even if someone were to win a job with the New York Philharmonic or win a job teaching at a top university, it still may not be their dream job because it might not align with all aspects of their goals in life. Uh, and and the one and the one thing you're making me think of is that that's also a part of this. Your dream job likely is going to change. Yeah, it's that that's the move. That's actually a moving target, and you may not even know that it's that's the case. Yeah, that's such a good point. I'm trying to think of like all of the different things that I've wanted to do throughout my career. I mean, I wanted to play on Broadway for a while. I thought that's what I wanted to do for a while. I thought I wanted to do specifically an orchestra job. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been all over the, all over the map and, you know, even day to day here that kind of varies. Um, one of the things for me I've always found is that I ultimately want to have a mix of the teaching and the performing whenever I'm doing more of one, I miss the other. Yeah. Um, and I, I can tell that too. It's really funny if I'm, if I haven't performed in a while, I find myself getting uh, a little more aggressive in lessons and telling my students, no, play it like this. Listen to that, you know, inserting myself more because I miss performing. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes if I'm performing more and not teaching, uh, it just loses a little bit of the sparkle for me. I'm not as excited being on stage because it doesn't, I don't know. I don't have the same connection and interaction with people sometimes. So I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. You need to, uh, you know, be open to things, I think, in this career uh, and try as many different things as you can to figure out what that, um, what that dream job looks like for you. Yeah. Or dream jobs. That's the other thing. Or dream jobs. Ultimately, in this field, very rarely are you only doing one thing. You're often doing half a dozen different things. Yeah. And a lot of them all fall under the guise of your actual job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, those are those are great points, particularly about the to not get caught up in being mad that in the jealousy, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I I would bet that that's that goes double and triple for someone who has who has degrees from Eastman and Michigan, <laughs> where I mean, seriously, like places that those are places that are known commodities in terms of these people who graduate from these programs and have that on their CV frequently are at least finalists for lots of teaching jobs, college teaching yeah. jobs. Yeah. So, oh yeah. I mean, gosh, that's, for, you know, forever an issue of comparison. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, it was funny going uh, back to Eastman for my doctorate because I was actually professor Burt's first freshman class there. He started at Eastman. He moved from Northwestern my freshman year. 
you know, so I feel like I've like seen, I've really seen that kind of the transformation of the program there under him, which let me preface that with John Beck is, you know, a God in our, uh, in our field. And the program was phenomenal to begin with. Uh, But it, you know, it was interesting just to see the direction that uh, Professor Burrett took it. Um, Yeah. Coming back as a grad student and I'm listening to some of these undergrad auditions and I'm just thinking, what? Like I wasn't playing that well as a senior. What is happening? Right. Um, and these are high school students. You know, it's it, it's insane. You know, it's absolutely insane uh, the level of playing. And I think that's just the case. You know, around the world, honestly, our pedagogy is getting so much better uh, as um, as percussionists. Younger and younger students are getting better information sooner. Uh, you know, it's the level is just going to continue to raise, which is amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty terrifying when you are watching fresh or, you know, seniors in high school come in and destroy velocities. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Which is a piece that really kind of needs to be destroyed, frankly. I mean, just, I, I've never learned it and I'm kind of making a point not to. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I played it on my first doctoral recital and like literally once I was done, I'm like, that's it. Never again. <laughs> the box. Yes. The box. You finished it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, that's well, funny. that's that was what was what, what I was thinking when you made the comment about the aggressiveness in lessons was the uh, I was like this student clearly need, needs me to play the second movement of Merlin right now. Right you now. Know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With all the octaves of like super fast speed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, isn't that the performer in all of us? Like, we yeah. can't resist that moment once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, I'm totally with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Too funny. You grew up in some in, in near Indianapolis? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, grew up on the west side. Um, spent most of my, you know, most of my time in middle school and high school in Brownsburg. I don't know if. That probably won't ring a bell for any reason. Most people have heard of Avon, which is the town south of us, because they have a phenomenal marching band. Mm. So I always would just tell people, I'm like, yeah, I live, you know, just north of Avon. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Grew up, grew up on the west side there. Um, you know, my my family still lives there, uh, which is nice to be able to kind of go return home. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, I spent the year prior to teaching here back in Indiana, um, living back in Brownsburg and actually doing a little bit of teaching at some of my old schools. Uh, so getting to work with my old band directors and, uh, you know, just kind of reinserting myself to that community, which was really, really, really neat. Um, and I feel very fortunate whenever I do go back home, um, often I'll give recitals at my church or do some performing around town. Um, and you know, there's a, a lot of people that are very supportive there, just friends of my parents or people that I've known growing up from church or, you know, anything. So it's, it's just kind of, it always kind of warms my heart a little bit to be going back home, uh, which is why I'm excited. I'm hoping for Heartland actually, uh, to do a recital, um, in my hometown, uh, since we're going to be there for PASIC, we're doing some other gigs and things, and we're looking at maybe doing a recital out there, um, which would be really fun. Yeah. Do you have any family members in the arts? Yes, kind of tangentially. Um, as far as professionally, I have some extended family members in the arts. 
Uh, my dad was an engineer. He's retired now, uh, but he's always really loved playing cello. Um, so now he plays cello in his community orchestra there um, around Indianapolis. My mom, um, she played piano growing up. She's in bell choir at our church. Like she's <laughs> a little musically inclined. I think it was all a little more social thing sure. for her, uh, honestly. Um, and I think she would have preferred if my brothers and I had stuck with sports longer than music. She always liked going to go to our sports games more than the <laughs> concerts, yeah. but she is incredibly supportive. Um, and, uh, you know, really, I am so appreciative of that. Those, listen, those, those, those handbell people, chatty, right. real chatty. Oh, yeah. She's got, she's got the foreign hand, all of that. Nice. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's no joke. She, she was doing four mouths before you were. That's for exactly. Sure. <laughs> I had her try uh, doing scales on the marimba the other day, actually, because uh, she played piano and she was yeah. you know very good at piano. So she understands the layout and everything. Right. She starts doing it. She's like, oh, this is weird. She's like, this is kind of hard. I'm like, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Feel validated. <laughs> but um, Shoot, I should ask a sibling of mine to, to hold four mouths and be like, oh, yeah. my fingers hurt and be like, ah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Welcome to my world. We have such a rough life. <laughs> yeah. So, rough. Um, but my two younger brothers are both, uh, again, musically inclined, musically interested, uh, yeah, yeah. both play piano, both play some drums, a little guitar. Um, yeah, yeah. My middle brother and I actually were on drum line together, which he did not love because I was section leader and I was pretty obnoxious growing up. Honestly. Um, <laughs> You're like, and uh, kind of a dick, actually, now that I think. Yeah, about <laughs> I was not the best. I was yeah. not the best. Um, actually, I mean, I thought I was the best and that was sure. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> And since then, I've come to realize that I am the best. Yeah, no. all right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all been validated. Um, yeah, <laughs> see, I told you guys. Uh, no, no, it was, it, so it was really fun, actually. Both my siblings and I would play in jazz band together and pep band, all kinds of stuff. Uh, there was a running joke for a long time at our church that there was the Weaver family praise band. Every Sunday, it'd be my dad, my two brothers, and I, and a couple of singers, um, so, so there's always been like a very strong musical culture in my family yeah. uh, and then my extended family. I mean, we have a lot of visual artists, uh, some singers, mm -hmm. you know, just very, uh, you know, very supportive of the arts and, you know, going that direction, which I'm so appreciative. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I try and tell my parents all the time how much, how grateful I am for everything they did, uh, to set me up, um, and I, something I've been realizing more and more now that I, you know, am in this position and I'm, you know, working in high schools and doing some recruiting and stuff, I'm just realizing how important that is. And, you know, for better or worse, well, really for worse, how uh, much socioeconomics and other aspects, you know, uh, race, all, all, all of these things contribute to uh, your path in the arts, particularly, um, different doors that are going to be more easily open to you. Yeah. So I'm just you know, very grateful that I was able to have a lot of these things, um, and trying to be, trying to be more conscious of that now that I have the means. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I'm curious what kind of, uh, the praise band was playing, what kind of music? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, contemporary Christian okay. kind of stuff. Yeah. Michael w. Yeah. Smith. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I had I had lots of the Michael W. Smith piano music at home. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, any of that stuff. Um, we also my church did uh, musicals every summer, so we did. Okay. Oh gosh, uh, you know Joseph and the Color Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell, all like Godspell. Yep, Godspell. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, then you know the further and further along we got, it started to be a little bit more of a stretch. Um, I mean, we did. <laughs> We didn't build it on the roof. And then we did Charlie, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Uh-huh. And, you know, some other, I'm like, okay. Then you did Greece and you're like, I don't <laughs> think this has anything to do with it. Going a whole different direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's so much good. I mean, like day by day is a great song. And, um, Oh yeah. Uh, what's the, oh, uh, I think of the Godspells, the one that's, uh, well, that's God day by day. It's It's like, um, Oh, you are the light of the world. That's another good one. Oh yeah, 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 like yeah. Godspell had a lot of good. Yeah, a lot of good ones. Not a I good like, movie. I mean, the music's good, but it's really right, no, it's terrible. Yeah, stupid yeah. movie. <laughs> very, very bad. Very yeah. bad. Um, <laughs> no, I really liked playing a Jesus Christ Superstar. I actually ended up oh. bringing in the whole rhythm section from my jazz band at school. <laughs> oh yeah. That bass guitar part is incredible. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause our choir director or the the um uh, like the youth choir director at our church was also yeah. the theater director at the high school. Yeah. So we just brought the whole crew over. It was a party. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I for for a number of years I played piano for for uh, like a it was a it was a Catholic service that had like a life team. Um, oh, sure, yeah. So um so yeah, like I got all of the uh our God, awesome God. Yeah. Like that was the, the, that was the crowd. Like if that was the closer and like, they had the, the hand, the hand motions. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. I listened to, you know, you know, there are the now CDs. Mm-hmm. Did you ever listen to the wow CDs? No. Oh my gosh. This was a whole brand of, you know, the, the Christian equivalent of yeah, yeah. now CDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love it. Yeah. You still have them there in your office. Oh Yeah. No, yeah. no, not my office. I don't, I don't even have a functional CD player anymore. I don't think. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> a fair point. As you're progressing, uh, you know, kind of into high school, what's, or do you, is there a, like a focus instrument percussion wise? Is it just kind of more band related? Is it kind of well, drum set? Like what was kind of the things that you were focusing on? I think mallets always came quickest to me because I started on piano when I was five you mm-hmm. know and I played all the way until I was a senior in high school took lessons mm-hmm. um which I you know I think that that's so helpful for I always am pushing my percussion students I'm like spend more time at the piano it's going to help you so much it's yeah. going to help your ear it's going to help you be able to sit down and sight read things like it's just so good um so how far I mean, did you, was, on the piano how far did you get uh like what were you playing towards the right, end? I'm like I, I I don't want to brag, but I didn't suck. Um, I mean, I was <laughs> no, I I, uh, I played Rhapsody in Blue and some List on a on a senior recital. Which list? Uh, the uh, Un Suspiro, A two knee flat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, beautiful. I mean, so I am not gonna say that I played it all that great because it's yeah. ridiculous. But first, like half of it was solid. Yeah. Well, the third, gets, you get that third hand. The third is, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, it gets, oh, it gets, it gets real nasty. It gets rough. Real nasty. But yeah. yeah, I love that. Still, uh, to this day, I think I have almost as many piano books as I have marimba books on my shelf. <laughs> They're one of these cabinets yeah! right here. <laughs> uh, that's my, every time Christmas comes around, I pull out that Charlie Brown Christmas book. 
Nice. So good. Yeah. 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 One of my students here is a big, uh, he started on piano as well and he Mm. loves playing piano. So we'll, we'll actually sight read piano music on marimbas a lot. It's a good time. But yeah, so I mean, mallets always came, uh, pretty quickly to Mm -hmm. me. Um, I got more into drum set in high school because I wanted to play in jazz bands. You know, I played piano and jazz band in middle school, but then I wanted to, I was scared of soloing. So I was like, it's better if I play on drum set, then I don't have to worry about improv. I can just hit drums. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got more, yeah, I got more into drum set also because I wanted to play with the show choirs and the musicals. I've always loved that. I think that's like, there's a part of me that always wanted to be a vocalist, but I cannot sing and I'm a good enough musician to know that I cannot sing. So I just live vicariously through all my singing friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and I mean, I did, I did drumline um, all through high school. I was uh, on snare uh, all four years. So always like love that side of things too. Um, yeah. We didn't, I, I didn't really even understand <laughs> orchestral playing until honestly until college but um, a little bit my junior and senior year I got to participate in a uh, high school side-by-side program with the Indianapolis Symphony Mm. um, which is actually what set me up to go to Eastman incredibly I switched teachers my spring of my junior year um, and I started studying with Paul Burns who is percussionist with Indianapolis Symphony all because my mother cornered him in the elevator at the concert uh, because I'd been telling her like how much I was enjoying the program and she recognized him. I don't, I don't know if you know Paul at all or have ever seen him. He's easily identifiable. He's like six foot five, big, long white ponytail. Like you, you cannot miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom and dad were in the elevator with him and my mom just starts talking to him. My dad's sitting here. He's super uncomfortable. He's like, what are you just accosting this man? But it worked out great. Paul was you know, very appreciative. He gave her his number and I started taking lessons with him and he totally revamped my college plans. Like I was not looking at anywhere near as competitive as schools as he pushed me to. And I'm so grateful. I tell him that all the time. Every time, anytime I get a job or have any little success, I'm like, Paul, it's because of you. <laughs> He's phenomenal. I think you had mentioned, were you also involved in sports? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, largely softball. Um, okay. I played softball from like age six, everybody in Brownsburg played either softball or baseball. Mm. Um, the little league team has been like to the, you know, the little world series, mm-hmm. uh, many, like many times. Yeah. So that was to begin with, largely a social thing. I just like every everybody played softball, so I played softball. Yeah. Uh, but then I really got into fast pitch, and so I started playing travel ball mm. um, throughout middle school and about halfway through high school. Um, and that was when I realized about would have been like spring of my sophomore year. Um, I finished out the season, but then after that, I realized I needed to like step it up if I wanted to be serious about music. Um, cause I had always think that things have come relatively easy to me, um, in lessons and in bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't feel like I had to work too hard. Um, and then I, you know, then I went to an all state percussion, uh, weekend performance, whatever. And I realized, Oh, dang. Okay. Like there's some really good people. I need to step it up. So at that point, 
I kind of started moving more towards being serious about music. Um, but I really, I always missed playing softball. Um, so actually for a year in college while I was at Eastman, um, I joined the crew team. So I actually, yeah, I rode for a year, uh, in college and after that, Professor Burt sat me down and was like, all right, like, that's great. I know you're doing that because I was doing it largely for mental health. Like I needed, I needed something. Mm-hmm. Sure. He's like, but Weaver, like, come on. <laughs> he was like, you're not keeping up. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. So had to, had to put that aside then, but I have, I have rode um, since then mm. um, and I love it. I think it's so, at least personally, it's always been so good for my mental health to have some kind of active outlet. I'm going to get to the crew in a sec, but the, yeah. uh, what, what was your position softball? Oh yeah. Um, so, well, I was catcher for years, uh-huh. uh, for fast pitch, but then I ended up, uh, breaking my leg and then tearing my ACL. <laughs> the so, same play or different? Uh, well, no, it was the same leg. It was two like back-to-back years. So when Ooh. I broke, when I broke my, uh, tibia, I broke just the oh tip of it, like under, under my knee. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was summer and I was in a cast, like all the way up to my waist. It was awful. Wow. Um, but they think I weakened my ACL at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, young girls actually tend to have a lot of trouble with ACL just because the way hips develop and like your joints and everything. So yeah, I tore my ACL. It was dumb. I was just running on AstroTurf and I like tried to pivot too quickly and just snapped in. Yeah. Oh. So after that, I no longer caught. I played first base after that. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised when I've talked to people who who play baseball. I haven't talked to as many people who played softball, but definitely the when they tell me they're catchers, I'm just like, are your knees okay? Like, I mean, it's always the first comment because it's just I mean, I, yeah. I like I I was never I think I may have played it once and I was like, I'll go back, I'll be plenty happy in the outfield yeah (laughs) yeah it certainly wrecks you and i definitely um you know i absolutely used some of those knee savers with like the little padded wedges in it otherwise oh my gosh yeah after a weekend you know playing eight games in two days you know you're you're pretty shot yeah yeah so i wasn't too terribly upset about Mm -hmm. moving to first base yeah yeah that's where they stick all the tall people anyways Um, so the, the crew, the interesting thing, I mean, crew is, is to me fascinating only because it's one of those, it's like, is it between that and like cross country skiing are the two like most difficult cardio sports? Like, I mean, they're insane, right? Like, yeah. Compare it to hazing in a fraternity a little bit. You know, it's like you go through this absolutely miserable experience to create this like sense of community. And then your brain has to convince you that it's worth it. You know, it tells you that it was worth it because you just absolutely destroyed your body. Right. Um, But no, I, I loved it. It was, it was incredible. There's something. So I think honestly, it's probably the percussionist in me that, had a lot of satisfaction with the rhythm of it and the pulse and the whole body motion of it. I mean, you're strapped. And like, I, I knew nothing about crew prior to doing this. Also, uh, my doctor knew that I was, you know, kind of depressed and looking for a physical outlet. And he was like, you should look at crew. You're tall. I said, okay. So I went, 
it was a D3 school. It wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I ended up making the top boat just because I was so tall. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I knew nothing about it going in. But the first time I was in a boat, it's phenomenal. Your feet are strapped in. So you're sliding, you know, in time with everyone. And you can just feel the whole boat shooting forward when everyone's in sync. Like it's it's incredible. Um, but it was definitely it was rough. I mean, we were out in the water at 530 in the morning. So we were in the boathouse by like 4.45 in the morning, right. freezing cold. Mm-hmm. Genesee River in Rochester is disgusting, like absolute cesspool. I'm pretty sure there's like toxic dumps. So I'm amazed that I haven't grown a third ear from, mm-hmm. you know, falling in the river so many times. Mm-hmm. But no, it was it was great, though. I, I miss it. Someday, someday I really want to get a single rowing shell just to be able to take out. Cause it's just one of the most soothing things it, as exhausting as it is. It also is so cathartic. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, have you done kayaking? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's like that. I mean, that doesn't care. That's not the after, same after, after rowing. I love kayaking, but okay. like after feeling how you can make a boat move like in a, in a rowing shell, mm-hmm. kayaking just kind of feels like riding a tricycle. <laughs> You know, it's great. It's great. And I love it. Um, but the, like, I love being in a rowing shell cause you're actually below the water. Like the, mm. the rigging is so much lower uh, yeah. because of the angle, whereas a kayak, you're sitting kind of on top of the water, right? Rowing shell, your butt is actually below water level. Oh, okay. You're, yeah. You're just in the, it, it just feels more organic. Um, yeah. and it's so much lighter. You can just move, uh, you can really move the boat so much faster. But it's also way easier to tip over, which is why you end up in the lake a lot. The cesspool with bodies. The cesspool with toxic dumps. Yeah. I know. I always picture, what, what's the, uh, I'm thinking of uh, the Simpsons. What's the, uh, like the, the river, the dump there or whatever. That's what I'm like picturing. I, I can't remember. I don't watch yeah. the show, but I, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine though that if you're doing this at Eastman, you're gonna be a little tired, like, right? Yeah, I got in trouble for that. Um, <laughs> I definitely got in trouble for that. So I I was a big nerd, and I was in um, the honors music theory class at Eastman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like the same like twelve of us that yeah. were in all of our theory classes, freshman, sophomore, and junior year. So we got to know each other really well. Yeah. The teacher also knew that like we had to have at least some base level of knowledge to be in that class. So they, they generally knew that we were like kind of with it. Well, I told my teacher sophomore year, I was like, look, I just came off the water because that class was at 830 or something, you know, or 930, I think. So I'd been on the water for three hours. I've been up since 445. I was like, I am here. I always want to be here. If I ever start to fall asleep, like it is in no way a reflection. I'm so sorry. And I made the kid behind me. I told him, I was like, if I start to nod off, I want you to hit me. So it was really funny. We'd be in this class. There's only a few of us, you know, like 10 or 12 of us. And I'd be there and I'd start to nod off. And I could just sense the rest of the class get really quiet as everybody watched this kid behind me getting ready to like hit me. And so I'd, I'd start out of it. I jump back up like, no, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm yeah. awake. But I think the worst was the percussion ensemble rehearsal with Burrett that I slept through. That was bad. I thought I had set my alarm uh, to you. Cause we had like a, a lunchtime rehearsal, I think, or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So I went to class, went back to my room, to take a little nap. 
um, and I screwed up like AM PM on my clock and my phone's going off, wakes me out of a dead sleep. And it's Michael Burrett. Yeah. Weaver, where are you? What are you doing? Terrified, like yeah, yeah, dead sprint, ran yeah. a rehearsal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was not a good feeling. Yeah. Then he's like this crew thing. Yeah, kind of yeah. over, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It was not long after that that we were like, oh, "Okay, like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right." Yeah. But so, I'm so glad I did. It was, you know, it was yeah. a great, great experience, um, but not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it asks it asks so much of you. Yeah. Um, well, and the hard thing was a lot of the other students. Um, you know, we'd be gone all weekend at a regatta. We'd leave yeah. Friday night and get back Sunday night or something. Right. And they bring their books to study. Like they would take tests. We actually had it yeah. set up with some of the instructors that there would be times that the team would go and take tests to make up for missing class. You can't do that with music. Right. It's like I brought my practice pad, but I drive my roommates nuts and yeah. it's still not enough to really get you through. So, yeah. Maybe a music history test that would be like your your That was about it. Yeah. 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 And stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Hannah Weaver coming next week. This week's rave is fortunately live music. This time it was a recent concert I attended on the campus of the University of Missouri, and it featured our annual visit from the St. Louis Symphony. Oddly enough, I was only just made aware of this concert about four hours before it occurred. Sometimes you just miss those emails. In any case, I was intrigued because, one, I hadn't seen the St. Louis Symphony perform live for many years. Two, long time ago podcast guest Will James plays principal percussion for the group, and I hadn't seen him in performance since I'd had him on. And three, most importantly to this specific show, they were playing Pyotr Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 4, along with Franz Joseph Haydn's Symphony No. 64. So it ended up being worth the $36 to see them, and it did not disappoint. The works were both conducted very well by Stephanie Childress. The Haydn, a work that I was not familiar with, and was definitely in his earlier, more chamber music compositional period, was a delightful 20-minute piece. I can't say that there was much that really stood out of the work itself as a piece of art, aside from how well it was performed. The playing, the clarity of lines, the contrasts, the attention to detail, and in some ways, the way my own listening has deepened through my teaching of oral skills recently, allowed me to enjoy this piece more than I might have in the past. It was a wonderful way to open the concert. Post-intermission, we get to the Tchaikovsky. Of his symphonies, this one I'm pretty certain is my favorite. Starting with one of the most famous horn fanfares in all of symphonic music, and continuing on to include much of the hallmarks of Tchaikovsky's great large ensemble writing. Hummable full-section melodies, lots of syncopation, long and flowing string lines, active and loud brass portions, 
inventive scoring, and of course, great percussion writing. It hits the mark in so many ways. Under Childress's direction, this performance was notable for a number of reasons, most of which were not only about the level of playing throughout, which was very high, but the pace of each of the movements. The first movement was played at a tempo I was pretty usually ready for, but the rest of the work, even the slower second movement, moved on the brisk end of the tempo spectrum. The third movement was played at a pretty quick clip, and the pizzicato strings and fast-moving woodwind lines were executed very well throughout. And then we get to the final movement and that final portion with added percussion and, of course, Will James. I felt in some ways that I wanted the bass drum and cymbals to just be louder throughout. I think that's a testament to me listening to these recordings in my car at full volume. Anyway, the tempo was flying throughout, and Will had the cymbal part. The end of the fourth symphony is one of the most famous and frequently played excerpts for percussion auditions because of the speed, frequency, and syncopation of the part. And as this was upped in tempo, as I've stated, Will was put to the test and he crushed it. It was fantastic. And the audience immediately gave a standing ovation to the ensemble once the work was over. It was a fantastic way to be back in a concert hall and to be back seeing a high-level ensemble really do a great job. Thank you, St. Louis Symphony. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode at the homepage, along with the show notes at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next week for part two with Hannah Weaver. Until then.